We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. Welcome to Torre Show. Today's guest... Jody Patterson, the author of a powerful memoir about womanhood and life with a trans son. The Bold World is a beautifully written book about how her son has guided her to a new life. I've known Jody for a long time and I couldn't wait to talk to her about this awesome book. So I'm in a shared Uber in San Francisco. There's one guy and three women. And we're listening to the Kavanaugh hearings. And the man says, gosh, this is a really tough time for men. It's really difficult for men. And so I just let that sit there for a minute. And he didn't really go on. And uh, he just kind of kept sighing. You know, I said, however you look at it, I think those times that we might be talking about before are over. And Mm -hmm. the time now is different. Mm -hmm. And... It just made me think about all the men that I know. Just what does this time look like for you? I thought that was such an irrational um, statement. It's so hard for men because as a woman, I feel a certain way. But what do you what do you think about that? Well, a lot of men feel like that. Mm. Um, feel a certain fear. Feel a certain confusion. Feel like you know the ground is sort of shifting underneath our feet. And I think the first thing we have to prioritize is that things have been very difficult for women forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and women are just asking for justice. Mm-hmm. They're not they're not even asking for like reparations like, <laughs> like go back like yeah. black people, but just like, hey, can we have like an even playing field? Can we have like a safe like work environment? Can we like, you know, walk down the street without like getting attacked? And like you know, women in general are not asking for anything that they have not deserved the entire time. Um, I just think that men have had to shift uh, our understanding mm-hmm. of what's acceptable rapidly. And and I'd know. say the same thing for women. I mean, I think that we are shifting our... Because when we think about it, we all had a skewed understanding. So what might have been okay in my mind then is not okay today. And I think that shows the shift in women's perspectives too. And that's probably the hardest uh, to take because it's like we made these contracts <laughs> with our friends and our coworkers and our wives five years ago, 10 years ago. They don't stand today because the perspectives have changed. I women's that, perspectives, I we're coming that, with different I think needs. that when I was first um, in the workforce as a very young person and I remember this one office I worked in where it was normal for in the afternoon for uh, the younger men to give uh, back rubs to 
women who they Straight were their up. buddies. And like, this is almost every day that you'd be like rubbing somebody's shoulder. And at the time, that was fine. I mean, and, and it was always with consent that it was, you know, this was your friend who was okay with. And, but, you know, now that would be unthinkable, yeah. you know. And I think about, you know, just sort of, I mean, this, again, the suggestion, the request is, can you please be a gentleman? Mm -hmm. And if that is too much <laughs> for a man, including me, then, like, you know, you need to reconsider uh, everything. Um, you know, the, the, the request that women are making is not uh, too much, is not some, you know, grand thing. You know, it, mm -hmm. it is for basic respect mm -hmm. and, like, you know, allow me to just do my job as a human being and go home. Yeah. And that is absolutely um yeah I, I agree the baseline we're asking for baseline and i um you know that what we are asking for is not extraordinary it, oh. it is baseline respect and i think it also goes you know when you look at it like a pyramid have you ever seen that pyramid around rape, rape culture mm. so the bottom is like um cat calling yeah um elbow grabbing yeah. um and then you get a little bit higher, and then there's sort of like um, body shaming, slut shaming. And then you get a little bit higher, and then there might be um, um, something that, like a physical threat. And then when you get to the peak of rape culture, you have physical, abusive, violent rape. But all of that sort of escalates into the top of the peak. Yeah. And all of it's connected. So rape culture is this idea that um, well, it's the opposite of gentlemen. It's the yeah. opposite of respect. But it is it is take, take, touch, um, in all ways of the body, but also of the land. I mean, I don't want to get too esoteric, but like you know, I think the the culture of rape is about taking what you want, and you see that um, with women's bodies, but you also see that with the way we treat just nature and 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 the, and the land. So I think it's like a real shift paradigm shift in terms of how we approach each other and also how we approach um, life in general. Well, I mean, you know, it relates to something that I see in your book, because one thing that I saw in myself, because just had to do a lot of thinking about what it means to be a man mm -hmm. and how I could see there were different ways that I was sort of consciously thinking about trying to be, you know, an ally and trying to be um, a good guy but then deep down you have these feelings that make you respond in certain ways in certain situations and you know before all this I had no emotional intelligence whatsoever I had <laughs> no sort of awareness of my emotions so it was impossible for me to sort of become aware of somebody else's emotions mm -hmm. because I was blind to my own um, and when I started to probe I saw that what I had learned from my father and the men of his generation is that the man is supposed to be in charge yeah. in any given moment. And I saw different moments when the kids would sort of seem to disrespect me or my wife was not sort of backing me up when I was telling the kids to do something and I feel disrespected as a man. I'm not in control and I'm not the guy my father was. And you talk about that a lot mm -hmm. in this book, that the mom also feels like she should be in control, right? And she should be just on it on top of the situation. And when you're... Um, then daughter says to you, I'm a boy. 
you were like, I have no control of the situation. Mm-hmm. I have no, I have no thing intellectually for you. Emotionally, I don't know what to do. I am not in control of the situation at all. And you learn over time to surrender, right? And that surrendering of the feeling that you should be in control is so liberating. It, and difficult, right? Yeah. <laughs> and difficult. Yeah, yeah. I mean, most of the time as adults, by the time we're 30, 40, almost 50, we have seen it all, we think, right? So, so we think and done it all, taken the subway route, dealt with difficult coworkers, um, unruly children, you know, bad bad behavior from the folks around us. We, we know um, what to expect and we kind of have the answer to things. We know, you know, how to handle a situation. Arduous tasks, but not, not surprising. And then when you get into a situation, a moment where you have zero you think you have zero information. It does not match up to anything else. And so when my child, Penelope, said, I'm a boy, it didn't match up to anything. I didn't think I was equipped to um, respond, to offer a path forward or a solution to fix. And so, you know, you don't give up as a parent. You still try to fix. You try to figure out what you could do to address the situation and make it better. So make this child be proud of being a girl. Make this child into a happy, smart, healthy girl. That's what I, that's, that's what I assumed, right? I assumed this Penelope was a girl. Everybody, the doctor said so, looked like a girl to me. Uh, but when my kid was saying, I don't want tomorrow to come. I don't want to be you, mama. I want to be papa. Uh, I didn't have an answer for that. Tell me that specific moment mm. of when you finally got to that point with Penel because you you had been sort of struggling. You knew something was wrong every time you tried to touch then her, right? Is that appropriate in the pronouns to refer to it, her no, I, in the past? I, sometimes in the telling of a story I might so that the reader comes along with me on the journey, but really... The child that I have today is the same child I birthed. Okay. I've changed my pronouns. So I no longer say she. I no longer say she ch- turned into a boy. I just say he, okay. boy. So Penelope boy. So when he mm-hmm. revealed was being changed, the diapers, was being put into dresses and having bows in the hair, and he is rejecting that because you don't know. Mm-hmm. And then you get to this moment. Tell me the whole, how that happened. So I am a mother of five and we're living in Manhattan, and we have this accelerated life um, with co- businesses and children and um, expectations to fulfill. And so just the backdrop is trying to get my kids fed to school, right. dressed, homework, homework, yeah. home, dinner, bath time, bedtime. Like for parents of multiple children, the, the goal is bedtime. Right. <laughs> right? It's, Routine. It's bed. Um, and so I'm really busy at this time. And um, everything is uh, working in the way I think it should work, except for this one kid, Penelope, who's the third child. Penelope is so troubled. Everything is resisted. Brushing teeth, combing hair, getting dressed, diaper change. Even before there were physical words from Penelope, the body language was everything was like pushing me away. Um, Changing a diaper, anything to the body was traumatic. And so I had to actually have dad come and help me change the diaper dad would hold baby Penelope down I'd put the diaper on we'd both be sweating 
it felt weird because you don't want that kind of right. yeah fight around the baby. Um, so a couple two years pass, and Penelope is having nightmares every night, reoccurring nightmares, nail biting, bedwetting, pushing brothers, pushing friends at the park, knocking over blocks. Um, first word was no. Most of the time, Penelope did not want to be snuggled by me. You know, and I thought, well, I know how to take care of girls. I know, I'm a good mom. But Penelope was rejecting. And so I did things like Penelope asked for a haircut. Reluctantly, eventually, we gave Penelope a haircut, short haircut. Penelope wanted jeans. Reluctantly, eventually, we gave Penelope jeans. Those things eased Penelope a little bit, but they didn't change the, the scenario completely. They weren't enough. And so one day in the summer, Penelope had just been a terror all day, knocking over brother blocks. So I scoop Penelope up and give us both a timeout in the bedroom. And we sit on the floor. And it was really the first time I had taken timeout with Penelope, like a literal timeout and then just a mental pause. It's interesting. You were not punitive. You were on timeout. But just, we are going to go together to talk. Yeah. And that was rare <laughs> because usually I'm like, you know, changing the diet, changing the bedtime, fixing the outfits, color coordinating. Maybe Penelope is grabbing brother's clothing because Penelope is confused. So I was like organizing the house more. <laughs> and so this time I just picked up Penelope. We sat on the floor and I asked the question, why are you so angry all the time? Tell me why. And then Penelope like opened up you could see the open and then the tears started flowing and and Penelope said well because everyone thinks I'm a girl and I'm not so I he's crying he's crying I mean really just did he say it or scream it no 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 not screaming he was we're sitting on the floor it's quiet and he's just telling me really like exhausted telling me like thank you for asking me I've been waiting for someone to ask Mama, I don't, I love you. I don't want to be you. I want to be Papa. I don't want tomorrow to come. Tomorrow I'll look like you. I want a doctor to make me a peanut. These are things that Penelope is saying about Penelope's life that I had no clue of. At three. At three. My kids are very verbal. And I'll also put a footnote in that, which I've learned later on, around three is when the brain starts to identify. So the brain places every one of us at around three in context to the world. My kids just happen to be in a house where you can speak up and talk and say anything you want, <laughs> for better or for worse. And so Pinnell said, everyone thinks I'm a, a girl and I'm not. So I thought, okay, here's a girl who wants to be like her brothers. Here's a girl who wants to be seen as tough, not weak. Here's a girl who's noticing sexism, <laughs> right? Three years old, but like maybe a budding feminist, maybe a budding lesbian. Like I just trying to think of what I knew to grab onto. So I said, however you feel is fine. If you want to act like your brothers, you go ahead and act like them. And then, yeah, Penelope knew I wasn't getting it. And that made him mad, actually, because I was denying him still of something. And he said, no, I don't feel like a boy. I am a boy. And then I just stopped talking. <laughs> what did you feel? Um, shame. I thought I had um, dropped the ball on raising a smart, confident girl. Like, I thought I had dropped the ball on feminism. 
I thought all in all this busy city Soho living, I forgot to read the books and tell the stories about um, Nina Simone, Billie Jean King, Toni Morrison, Maya Angelou, you know, all of the sheroes. And I thought I forgot to instill pride in this girl. She's she's reading into sexism and doesn't want any part of weakness. So she's opting out, (laughs) I thought. Um, So I was feeling guilty and um, unaccomplished, (laughs) like all the things that you think you're getting ahead of, you know, buying a house and starting a business. And then your kid tells you, you got it all wrong. (laughs) Sort of smacked me down to size. So I actually stopped talking and I just listened for probably an hour. What did he say after that? Talked about the body a lot. She said, I don't like, I don't want this body. I don't want it. I want, um, I remember he said, there are a few things that I remember very clearly. Mama, I love you. I don't want to be you. I want to be Papa. Um, and I remember saying that I would help, that there are doctors that can help. But I didn't really, <laughs> and then people have said to me, what did you mean by that? Were you, what, what were you really prepared to do? I don't know. <laughs> I have no clue. I was just, because, you know, when your kid is there t- speaking so, coming in peace, first of all. He wasn't screaming. He was. I thought maybe he would say, I hate this family. You're so stupid. But he said, I am a boy. And he said it in peace. And so when someone comes to you in peace, you have to re- receive that. So I wasn't concerned with saying no to him. No, you're wrong. Or no, that can't be. I was more concerned with saying yes and I'll help, because he was confiding in me and relying on me. So we just, um, we sat there, and then when we came out of the room, I sort of downplayed it, right, to, to dad. Because we knew Penelope had been different. Difficult. Difficult and different and tomboyish, right? So I just said, oh, Penelope wants to be a boy. And he said, yeah, we know that. And then I said, I got that, you just, you know, you handle the other kids because that's what you do when you have multiple kids sometimes, you know, you right. juggle. So I left, I kept that. So you weren't at that moment, you weren't fully. Oh, I was fully in. You you got it. My child is trans. I don't think the word trans was so alive in my mouth, but it was more that I knew there was something bigger than I thought. I knew that it was not about presentation. It was more about identity and I knew I, I had images of, I had images flashing through my head. Like I had Silence of the Lambs, the psychopath wiggling and tucking his penis between his legs. Mm-hmm. I had Paris is Burning, mm-hmm. Flash, that documentary about the, the kids in the West Village. Mm-hmm. Many of them died. Mm-hmm. So I had an, a, a slight understanding of gender nonconforming, but it was muddled with all these really sad stories. Yeah. So I was more, I left the room with he in my head. Penelope was no longer she in my head. And I also left the room with a feeling of save Penelope. That was really the directive, save Penelope. And it consumed almost all of my time for the next several years. Well, first, you had to get equipped to dealing with the situation. And you say in the book, you were ill-equipped at that Mm -hmm. moment, even though you were emotionally accepting 
you know, all you had was images of like death and destruction, yeah, tragic uh, trans stories. Um, how did you get equipped? Uh, I went on the internet. Actually, <laughs> I I spent. I did. I was probably reading Malcolm Gladwell at the time, and he says ten thousand hours to becoming an expert. Mm-hmm. And so I just dove into the internet. And so at night, you know, with my laptop close to me, so no one really could see. Joe didn't really know what I was doing. I was plugging away and typing in words and coming up with um, finding doctors and hospitals and theories and organizations and peer groups that were helpful in some ways sort of at least it was they were showing me that there was a lot out there I didn't know so I learned a new language you know mm. transgender cisgender polyamorous um, uh, some people go by they them there mm-hmm. didn't even think about that right as I mm-hmm. did so there's a language that I that I took in um, over the months and then there were organizations that I reached out to and then there were doctors and theories that I absorbed. That's where it got tricky because the theories are, at the time in particular, you know, um, that this was something had gone wrong. No one quite knew what was wrong. Maybe a surge in hormones in the mother's body during pregnancy, but something was off skew. And then there's also conversion therapy where doctors, you know, try to correct the child through really torturous practices. So I got a lot of information, I, and I got I kind of got nauseous from a lot of the information. Yeah. Um, but I did find folks, people, families. There's one family, um, there's a young girl named Jazz Jennings, and she was one of the youngest, one of the youngest out trans public figures. And there were all these um, documentary stories on her and her family. And her family was so supportive and proud. And they used the word trans, transgender. And they and Jazz, the child, said, my body is male, my brain is female. Period. That was it. And I thought, oh, <laughs> there we go. That's a very clear way of describing it. No other explanation needed. The, the body and the brain aren't always in the alignment that we think they should be in. I now see them quite aligned with Penelope. I don't see Penelope as off-center or... I mean, you saw massive changes in this child once you were able to be accepting of his reality. So it took a while for me to even understand what acceptance or support looked like. And it, in my family and in many families, it's language. I changed my language around Penelope. I said he, him, his... Son, grandson, nephew, cousin, boy cousin. Um, So I changed my language. I also allowed Penelope just to go and find the clothing that you like to wear. For a long time, I was like trying to bring girl tomboy clothing. (laughs) You know, present tomboyish but cute, sassy outfits. for. So really, Penelope chooses his own clothing, decides his own haircuts, um, picks his own friends. I left him to his own will and desire. And almost everything that Penelope liked when he was young is, are the same things he likes now. He didn't, like, change, you know, into this other boy. It was really the language and the clothing that changed the most. Mm. Penelope is great at math. So he's 11 now. He's, a great, he's an A student. He's great at math. Um, he was class president. 
he's um, competes in karate against boys and girls now specifically boys because he's at that age and he wins um, but he's also really creative he writes short stories um, he's also really vain he, I can't get him out the mirror <laughs> you know what I mean like, so I never said okay if you're a boy you have to be this way he just does what he likes and he does what he does and he does it well and I say he him his there are all these little ways that we as parents um, um, tell our children, you know, this is what's expected of boys, yeah. this is what is. And I'm sure you were doing that before. All the time. And it did it become, with all, all five of the kids, did you, did, it, did you become sort of hyper aware and change your approach to your other children? Completely. So I had, you know, and especially with a, a house full of five kids, I had girls clothing on pink hangers, boys clothing on blue hangers. Princess toothbrushes versus super bo- superhero toothbrushes. Butterflies on girl diapers, trucks, and superheroes on boy diapers. Everything was gendered. I even spoke to the girls, kind of like, come on, girls, yep. let's have some good girl time. Yep. And then with the boy that was Ca- you know, Cassius, Othello, even I think to their father, Joe, you know, yep. we yep. need to. And so I, I think what I notice now is the dynamics between people. I thought at one time boys were to be wrangled and gotten into shape. Otherwise, they would outpower me. Mm -hmm. And girls, I kind of just, you know, wanted them to explore the world because they needed that as Mm -hmm. girls. They needed the the, uh, approval. And so I changed all of that. I changed. I started just talking nicely as best I could to all my kids, (laughs) you know. I was like, maybe everyone needs, you know, (laughs) nice tonation um but what but on the on a larger note what ended up happening once I said Penelope you know what whoever you are is for you to say all the other kids started raising their hand well mama if you're listening to Penelope and and Penelope's differences you might want to hear mine and I have a whole list of them and so each kid came out with something that was really important I mean I imagine yeah this would be an explosion within totally. the group of you. So it's not just for you and Pinnell to work through, but you, you got to go to the other children and say. In a sense. I mean, I didn't ask anyone, you know, once I saw the, 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 it was like life or death, you know, I could either be with Penelope, protect Penelope or be against him. And I knew that outcome. There's statistics around, you know, trans youth, 50, over 50% of trans teens attempt suicide. So it was really for me life or death. Am I with my son and am I going to help him live? And that was a specific, I mean, right. I mean, he was specifically mentioning not wanting to Absolutely. be around. And then add on that he's black. Mm. <laughs> black trans, you know, is, is a super wicked problem I mean, he's, in America. He specifically said to you that he wanted to. I don't want tomorrow to come. So that's a sign of suicidal yeah. tendencies. And if left alone, they would have grown could have grown and so really I wasn't um it was just I was on Penelope's side and whatever that took because it 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 distilled down to life I don't care what jeans he wears honestly I don't even care the language as long as everything that he is reading touching seeing supports him that was my only objective um and so I wasn't asking permission from anyone however (laughs) it did lead to a complicated home life because People are individuals, and not everyone is on the same page at the same moment. So one brother, his older brother, Cassius, is a scientist. 
He's 13, but he's a scientist. And everything in life has to go through this lens of science for him. So he needs proof. And he asked for proof for everything. You know, prove to me that trans exists. Until you do, I won't believe it. And he said, look, I, I will support my brother and respect him. I'll, I'll even use the right pronouns <laughs> that he wants. But if we're talking scientifically, Penelope is physiologically girl. He's a 13-year-old. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, there is science to go against what he's saying. There is science to prove gender variance. We know this. But 13-year-old kid says, it's not proven. I need science. And so then Penelope, you know, says back to him, look, it's not just science all the time. You know, this is who I am. God made me this way. I'm here. I exist. Therefore, trans is proven. End of story. And, you know, Cassius's answer to that, well, God's not proven. <laughs> <laughs> trans is not proven. Hit me with some facts, kid. <laughs> I mean, you got other little kids. You got Othello there yeah. who's a little, uh, Othello is younger. He's younger, and so he doesn't know Penelope any different than this. It's so normalized for Othello, honestly. He doesn't wrap his brain around it. He doesn't stutter over pronouns. He um, even asked me one day, so when Penelope grows up, he'll have a body like daddy, right? And I said, no, he won't. But he goes, but when he gets bigger, he'll have a big, hairy penis like daddy, right? And I said, no, he won't. Penelope's a trans boy. His body is different. Othello did not understand that this boy, his brother, wasn't like any boy or wasn't going to be like any man, you know, so I had to unpack that a little bit for him. But really, when Othello has only grown up with his brother Penelope. You are at age 11. Yeah. You're right on the lip of puberty. <laughs> that is true. That is true. What do you foresee? What are you guys going to do? Um, well, so the doing, you know, the, here's parents of trans kids we fast forward to puberty starting at age three right. like the first thing I thought about was what's Penelope's body gonna do who's gonna hurt Penelope when his body reveals that he's a you know that feminine in his presentation in his body what's gonna happen in high school what's gonna happen on the first date who's gonna hurt Penelope yeah. My, your brain fast forward to puberty so I've had to in these years pull back like prepare perhaps, get some information perhaps. So I know like, I know the team at Mount Sinai Hospital. I know all the surgeons. Um, I have a lot of my friends, I've asked questions about what is it like taking testosterone every day? Um, what is it like for some trans, I have fr trans friends who chose not to change their bodies, right? So I've asked a lot of questions um, amongst my friends. I've aligned myself with hospitals and doctors. And then I'll, I'll let it sit right there because I don't know what Penelope's going to want. Perhaps Penelope wants to um, take testosterone. Perhaps he does not. All right, so the narrative that I thought existed, you're trans, you understand it, the people around you understand it, then you go on T. <laughs> then you have, you know, for a trans boy, then you have top surgery. I don't know if that's the case. I, I don't know. Maybe that is not all the options. And so I want to make sure that I don't hyper-analyze um, Penelope's body. I want to make sure I'm aware of the changes in his personality as his body changes. I want to make sure I keep asking questions, asking Penelope, how are you feeling? Yeah. What are you thinking? What do you want to do? Um, and I want to make sure that he's in an environment 
that is trans, queer, LGBT friendly. That's primarily because I think that will take away some of the urgency, perhaps, to make quick decisions. You know, I think community has been the biggest thing for us. Just go, go to places where you're understood and loved. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. Talking about creating a community that is honest to who you and Pinnell want him to be, who he is, mm-hmm. um, you talk a lot in this book about coming out to the family. And <clears throat> it's a really powerful story about writing a letter together, which I never even realized would be a part of a trans person's life. But you work together to write this letter and send it out to the family. And some people are super uh, on it on it. Yeah. And some people are not. 
yeah, the crickets, the silence. Uh, I wanted Penelope to be a part of his um, process to claim his himself, and it's an exercise that we all need to do, right? Claim yourself, um, express yourself, let people know who you are, and then see who's down with you, right? And so we wrote this. I wrote, I, I, I sketched out a letter. And then I showed it to Joe, dad, first. And then once we both agreed on it as parents, and we showed it to Penelope and asked Penelope to edit it and add his own and approve of it. And the letter um, announced to family and close friends that Penelope is trans and that Penelope is a boy and that we were allowing him and insisting that he present in the most authentic way. And we were insisting that family interact with him as a boy and acknowledge him as a boy. And so Penelope was so proud of it, and he sealed the envelopes and handed them to folks and put them in the mail um, as if he were, you know, inviting them to his high school or college graduation or wedding. You know, it was really something that he um, felt good about big moment for him it's a huge moment for him and for us too because once you put that stuff in, in, in when, you, when you put it in words and write it and then mail it old school mail it it felt really powerful and then we use that anytime someone was was confused we would just hand them the letter principal hand her the letter you know friend hand the letter over karate teacher hand the letter over and then it gives people time to sit and digest and then you come back a day or two later and make that the, the demand but there were crickets many family members did not respond they felt a certain way i assume um and then when they did respond it was is this the right thing to do is this mm. safe for penelope are you really thinking about long term <laughs> it's like as if i hadn't been thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking but the concerns were valid you know uh what why are we putting a word on this child? Mm-hmm. An ugly word, transgender. It's ugly word. Why are we putting this ugly word on him? Why are we um, insisting on something that might be just, you know, a phase? And why are we publicizing it? Why are we opening up the conversation to other people that might not want the best for Penelope? I think all oh, that's bullshit. <laughs> Personally, <laughs> people just don't want to change. Penelope was already had already come out. He'd already stated he's not going back. P- Penelope had already given us who he was. Is that to us to change or not? But like the fact that Penelope is trans was not going to shift whether or not we said he or she. Right. He would just be a boy, a trans boy without his family. Right. Right. <laughs> so who's right. you know that's a, that's a loss right there. So the idea of like, well, let's give, you know, let's, let's back up, let's slow down. Let's, all of that is for folks who are uncomfortable with change. None of that was about Penelope, in honesty, because he had been d- insisting three, four, five years now. This right? is me. I am a boy. Unwavering. Yeah, unwavering. Never, never back. Even when his dad said, well, if you're a boy, you're going to have to tell me. Face to face. So Penelope's like four years old, little shrimpy kid. And dad said, if you want to be, if you are really a boy and if you want me to call you boy, then you have to tell me, to me, your father, that you're a boy. And Penelope's like, I'm a boy, dad. <laughs> Never back down. But that's interesting because the the moment with Joe, he sort of 
approaches it in a sort of masculine way. Like, you want to be a boy? Yeah. So say you're a boy in a boyish way, and I'm going to stand up to you like a man, and like, what's up? And like, apparently he passed a test. He handled it. I mean, he, 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 um, he's always said, I am a boy. Even in, in uncomfortable situations, even when everyone's kind of staring at him, he, you know, one Thanksgiving, you would see him in a dress, because I was dressing him in dresses, and then the next, he was coming with a mohawk, with some high tops, with a jersey on, and probably, you know, throwing the first <laughs> punch on the basketball court if someone didn't really, if someone disrespected him. He completely, by the, in one year. From three to four. The physical presentation was so extreme that you really would have to deny this kid to not be on board. But was the holiday get-together fraught <laughs> and complicated? Um, so as an adult, I noticed the tension. But, you know, I have to say no family member walked away. No family member said, no, I will not, or this is horrible, or I can't love. There was never any love lost, but there was quietness, silence. I've noticed that people never said he or trans. They just worked around in long form. Well, I'm coming to take Penelope to the park. Does Penelope want uh, Penelope's <laughs> sneakers or does Penelope want Penelope's sandals? You know? And once Penelope's hungry, does Penelope like a sandwich or does Penelope prefer? So I noticed that people were um, moving around gender in their own way, which, you know, I can take that. I can take that. Grandma stayed um, on both sides. Grandfather stayed. African grandfather from Ghana stayed in Penelope's life. Cousins. Um, all the, all, all, everyone did. Your mom? Your mom? My southern mother. Your mom got it? It took her a long time. I had to keep saying, Google it, mom. I don't have time. Google it. Come back with some more information, mama. Here's a, you know, here's a link. Start there. Get back at me. I mean, a couple of times she gave Penelope... <laughs> Uh, I remember this one birthday, Penelope got a tote bag with flowers and butterflies. I mean, it was the wrong gift. Penelope felt horrible and said, you know, please tell grandma, it looks like love, but my style is more rock and roll. So can she please just give me something rock and roll next time? And you wrote to your mom I, telling yeah. her that. I was, it, it, you know, it pissed me off most of the time. I was angry for many years, not at my kids. Right. I was angry at the adults. It, I, I, I sense sort of the, 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 the mama bear mm -hmm. of like, my child needs something. The world is not catching up. Yeah. I will make you catch up. Yeah. Was it some of that? It was that. And I don't know if that's the best approach. You end up putting a divide between you and, and other people, adults. So although I did protect Penelope... There weren't many places where I, he never walked into environments and felt beat down. You know, once or twice or three times, maybe we had some, you know, folks trying to out him. But generally speaking, I was able to get up in front of Penelope, move weird people out the way, you know, silence the naysayers, but really just give Penelope a space. But in doing that, I was always in confrontation with other adults. So, um, that put a strain on my marriage, as you can imagine. It put a strain on my um, extended family. Yeah. I mean, you are very open about it in the book. Your uh, husband's family does not 
does not does not catch up. They are not ready. I would say that they are not. <laughs> you know, it's like, are you? It is a. So here's what I've learned: is that you don't you don't toss people out. People surprise you all the time. So they have yet to say the word transgender. I don't even think they've read the book. <laughs> I don't think they've watched the documentaries that have like 11 million views, right, on my family. But they are in Penelope's life every day. And so I, if, I, if I hadn't witnessed that, I would be really pissed off, you know, at those who didn't understand. If I didn't have this science kid in my, in my own home, if I didn't have my, my son Cassius, who needs scientific proof that I would be really angry at all of the um, people out there who are using bogus science mm. to negate trans folk. But I have those people in my family, <laughs> right? And if I didn't in have Penelope, house. I probably wouldn't understand trans needs. Of course. So I've got, you know, what, I, what I'm seeing in my family is a microcosm of the world. And the goal for me now is not to agree, really. Because Penelope and his brother Cassius have not gotten any closer to agreeing. Yeah. <laughs> they are, you know, five years into this debate, still on opposite sides. But the goal to me is to debate and disagree with decorum and respect. And so, you know, so be it. They, they might not use the word trans or they might not. But there's a level of respect in our family that um, surpasses it, I think. It's such a great moment in the book when you guys go to the trans camp <laughs> yeah. and you discover all these other families. And um, tell us about that because I had no idea that that sort of thing even existed until you t- before you told me about it. Right. So one day, um, you know, with summertime comes and you have to figure out what to do with your kids. And it became really difficult because I don't just turn Penelope over to anyone. As a parent, you don't. But in particular, I'm very cautious around the environment in which I leave Penelope in. So camp, I would find myself crying, just dropping Penelope off at the YMCA because I didn't feel that people could be trusted and I didn't feel that they understood. And I would try to see in their eyes if they conveyed any sort of disgust. So I was oftentimes really scared and nervous. Um, And so one day Joe goes... We should start a trans. We should start a camp for trans kids. <laughs> and I thought, oh, like one more thing on the list of things to do. So I ended up finding a camp <laughs> that exists um, that services hundreds of families. And each year, several times a year, as an entire family, you can go into the mountains to this camp, Camp Aranudic, and in in a secret place okay. Okay. <laughs> because for safety you know, so there's a, there's a it's a campground we own our own camp we have mountains and we have lakes and we have rock climbing and all the great things that you would have at camp cabins and families come and they bring everyone you can bring a grandmother a sibling uh, a cousin a lover a boyfriend a girl anyone who cares for this family and this child and you really don't have the time don't even know who's trans and who's not mm. so I brought my entire family so okay this year, we're going to find friends who are trans. And I don't want to hear anything about it. We need more friends that are trans. So my, my kids thought it was awkward, right? Like, you can't just go find people. They're not lost, mama. And, uh, but it worked because now we go twice a year to this camp. And some of my best friends have been made at the camp. And some of my children's best friends have been made at the camp. And it's so funny because they'll say, 
you know, we've been going for five years now. And uh, they don't know who's trans and who's not. <laughs> They're like, wait a minute, so-and-so's trans? I'm like, yeah, you didn't get that? <laughs> that was the yeah, memo. Yeah, yeah, when you run up with your five kids, it's not clear. <laughs> Nobody knows. Like, which, you got, you have four boys, mm-hmm. right? Like, which is the, like. They thought Georgia, my daughter, uh, who's cisgender and she's 19, they thought Georgia was the trans person, person who was trans. Um, and she thought that was um, such a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I mean, you, what you expose your kids to matters. Yeah. And so now we have I have exposed my kids to this um, the truth, which is there is gender variance. There is so much more than the two options, male or female. And when you see that in real life, in real time, the um, confusion around it just kind of goes away. I wonder um, how the current, how your current living situation makes you reflect back on. The New York yeah. and the experiences that we've had, I mean, 20 plus years hanging out in New York, you know, clubs to becoming mm-hmm. parents. And there was a community of people who at that time might be called tranny, might mm-hmm. be called crossdresser, might be called he's just doing his own thing. And some of them were doing it in a very let's say sexy level and we're appearing on talk shows and we're mm-hmm. night, you know, maitre d's or, you know, nightclub uh, sort of people, nighttime people. And some were sort of struggling to get through and understand how do I deal with this? And, and that proceeds, I would say what the last five years where there's been this rush of like, no, like you must like understand. And, mm-hmm. um, and I do think it was we, growing up in New York, um, in high school and then post-college, living downtown in the East Village in Soho and in Tribeca and then moving to Fort Greene and being around creative people, you know, musicians and strippers, uh, writers and restaurateurs, architects and clothing designers. I mean, these, were, these friends of mine had ideas and then birthed ideas. They had perspectives and turned those perspectives into something that the world was able to see. And so you would think that I would be open to um, almost anything, being a native New Yorker, right? 40 plus years in New York. And I was, and I am, but what I didn't, so I I had some flexibility, (laughs) but I never knew that gender was flexible. Mm. So I knew that, you know, race and class and... Um, religion and there were all kinds of preferences and all kinds of nuances but I didn't understand that gender was also a part of that nuanced um, component of human existence just never questioned gender I never did either until this recent sort of Mm -hmm. but I think I felt that women had more range could be more fluid and before I even heard the phrase I felt that masculinity was a prison and I felt like these are the ranges of behavior that are acceptable for a male and if you go outside of that then you're not really a man and there were times when I was outside of that and there were definitely people in my New York City extended community who were like is he gay yeah and I'm like and that would be reflected back to me and I'm like no, I'm not. Now there's anything wrong with that, but uh, I'm not mm-hmm. performing in a traditional way. Yeah. So now I have to deal with. It. I have a friend who has become one of my closest friends. His name is Teek Milan. 
I know. Yeah, he's great. He's smart. He's um, yeah, a lot younger than I am. <laughs> and uh, he has a way of laying it on the table, whatever we're talking about. It could be marriage. It could be gender. Um, and just really looking at what is. Not what we want it to be, but what is. What are we really dealing with, right? And so he's opened my eyes to a lot of things. And one of the things he said to me, he said, you know, the myth is that black men have two emotions, lust and anger. Mm. That's it, just lust and anger. Yeah. When you, and when you look at, when I look at my children, as young people, those are the, those are the le- last two things I'm thinking about, right. right? Lust and anger. So you see all of this variation of emotion in my boys. And now raising a trans boy, I see all this variation in Penelope. And it has allowed me to, uh, to encourage all of my boys and all of my girls to be as varied as possible. Mm. Because it is such a disease to think that we lie in two emotions, just doesn't give us enough room we no. underestimate our potential i mean it just it is a it is a um, scenario that does not end well if we have lust and anger as our only two places to dwell and we're not even encouraged to be emotionally literate mm-hmm. right and to, to think about your emotions and to be aware of them and i think women encourage each other to do that and men don't talk about that at all and it leaves you emotionally illiterate and I tried to bring that out with my children so I wanted to um one of the things that I liked my mom how my mom raised us she raised us to be creative and to visualize so she always had us visualize our dreams in a meditative form so she taught us meditation in the 70s um and she would sit back in the backseat of the car with us and wherever we were going whether it was a gymnastics competition or a tennis competition or um to a test at school she would have us visualize the test filling it out answering the questions writing it on the paper turning the page she would have us visualize the gymnastics routine to the point where your body was actually moving although you were sitting in the backseat of the car yeah visualize it and I brought that to my my kids and so um you know story time at night I would create these images where the main characters were similar to my children. So Rapunzel has long cornrows. (laughs) The princes had dark skin and afros. Um, They were set in Africa, in Ghana. Like I wanted them to feel central as black people. I wanted the boys to feel capable. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive. 
T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash Toray. Thrivemarket.com slash Toray. On March 16th, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. As boys, I wanted the girls to feel capable as girls, and so I created stories that put them in the center of capability, possibility. And that was something that, that is something I still use continuously, like draft out, visualize your reality. And then uh, it will follow, like form follows function. What you need to be, sketch it out and, it, and you will be it. Hmm. There, some sea change has happened mm-hmm. in the last, like, what, four or five years mm-hmm. that suddenly the trans community sort of got really loud and said, like, you know, we demand respect and several sort of people were able to become national celebrities. And why did that happen? Why does change happen? What did that change? I mean, like, I understand why uh, some of the the gay rights movement happened. Well, people but the are- trans awareness and rights movement, I don't understand why that happened when it did. A lot of, uh, you know, people, Trans and intersex and gender nonconforming is a mystery to many people. It is a it is a different mm-hmm. type of person to many people. It's an other, and as we notice in throughout history, othering becomes bloody. So it, it has the trans community has come up, and you know parents of trans kids have come up and said enough is enough. There, are, I think I want to say twenty six deaths murders of trans black trans women last year Mm -hmm. and so when we look at um the history of othering i think people just had enough parents have had enough um and the voice of each person can be seen and heard more through social media maybe that gives us a little bit of a Mm -hmm. momentum you know i think that we I understand it to be different as a mother, and I, I just can't be quiet about it. So I think, you know, people get to the point where, like, enough death, enough living scared, enough not even knowing where my kid will go to high school. Enough. So I'm thinking, Pinnell goes to high school in a year. I need to start <laughs> talking to high schools. So I made it a point. I, I listed all the high schools, and I said, can I come and speak to you? <laughs> so, you know... Why do people start to stand up? It becomes um, something you you can't sit down anymore. I mean, out of love, out of parenting. I mean, like you're not an activist in a in an intellectual uh, from an intellectual yeah. basis, from a parenting basis. Obviously, right. there's an intellectual framework. Not to take anything away, but um, right. you, you where will my kids go to school? You start as a parent. Where will we live? Yeah, right. What will their summers look like if they can't go to a camp? So I started to make 
I started to go into spaces outside of my, because it started at my dining room table. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was an activist at my dining room table. And then when I started to think, where will my kids take a class, go to school? Where will they meet their friends? What parks? Then I started to go into those areas and ask and then demand for a different understanding. And, you know, if you ask why, I think it is becomes a function of just life. You know, this idea that we won't, I started to see the correlation around like bathrooms and um, drinking fountains. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. civil rights, mm-hmm. drinking fountains, black folks can't use water fountains, right? Mm-hmm. Current day, trans people can't use public bathrooms. Well, if you can't hydrate and if you can't urinate, you probably will stay home. That's mm-hmm. called, you know, making someone invisible. Mm-hmm. We've been talking about it since Ralph Ellis. I mean, even before Ralph Ellis, the invisible man. And so America was trying to push Penelope and all the Penelopes and trans folk and gender nonconforming folk back away. Go. Don't, don't come out. Don't be seen. And that, to me, is unacceptable. It's easier now than it was five or ten years ago, but it's still hard. For whom? For trans people and trans activists. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's still hard, right? I can't say it's easier. Um, I think that I have this privilege, obviously, as a cis person, cisgender person. I can talk about it. Um, No one is threatening me directly. Um, People will listen. (laughs) I can go to NYU, Princeton, you know, Dillard and speak about it with some authority. Right. Because I'm cis. Um, And I do notice when I speak over the years people have a different approach or a different response. They're a little more accepting or a little more open to hearing what I have to say. Um, but I don't know if a black trans woman in South Carolina has it easier right now right. than five years from five years ago. I don't think so. Right. Um, what is, I guess, except what is progress is that there are states that are pro-equality. There are some states that the legislature is pro-equality um, and their elected officials are pro-equality. And so that perhaps gives a little bit of, tiny bit of security, perhaps. <laughs> How has the book changed Pinnell? Well, the, the, my children haven't read the book yet, of course, because they're, they're, they're young kids. But they, the process that I went through to write the book affected them because I'm a better parent. So I had time to sit three years of writing the book and and pulling up memories around gender and pulling up examples around people in my family who are gender nonconforming. Not just Penelope, but like histories of them, like long history of 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 women in my fa- in my past who did not follow status quo. Men, black men who did not follow follow status quo in my lineage. And so when I looked at my history I was able to put Penelope in context and I was able to parent all of my children better and so I think they're seeing a mom today that's just a better mom (laughs) yeah just as a writer um how did you just structurally how did you have the time oh gosh and the energy to write a book as the mother of five and all the other things that are going on. I had a really good team. So my, my agent, and I always say, get a good agent. My agent was the one to say, maybe think about who raised you. She literally asked me, who raised you, Jody?" And that set me down the path of looking at my family, not just Penelope, the weird kid, but a legacy of people, right? So uh, agent was great. And then I actually worked with a woman, Maya Millett, 
who helped me structure my time, structure my thoughts, structure chapters. You know, I always thought that writing would be a, you know, you sit at your desk by yourself in a quiet room and you write for months and then you deliver a beautiful manuscript. For me, I had to have a team and Maya was this really um, essential component to the team. So she would record me. Is she a friend? Is she a writing coach? She's a writing, she's an editor. Okay. But my own, not with the publisher, right? So she recorded me um, and then would transcribe and I would work from my own words. Because sometimes when you're writing, the pressure is too much. Yeah. But when you're talking, and I was talking with Maya, I could let it all spill out. So she would record, transcribe, and I would work from that. Then I would write a, write a chapter. And she would say, this is great. You really get to the point of it on page seven. How about let's just start at page seven? So she had this bird's eye view, which comes with um, experience. And she could look at all my components and help me move them around so that the story was compelling. Um, and also I had to remember this is not a biography where you tell everything. It's right. a, it's a memoir, memoir where you look at certain memories that respond or relate to gender. And so my, my, I have to say was, was, was fantastic with that. And then my editor, my team at Random House, they kept giving me more time. They said, go back, <laughs> take more time. Three years? About three years. Yeah. Did you write mostly at night when they were asleep? So um, a lot of the writing comes from journal entries that I had over the years. And then I, um, I have thousands of, of notes in my iPhone. I mean, literally was like pulling back from old writings. And then they would go to school every day. My right. kids go to school. So I have five solid hours every day to write. So I take them to so school. So you got it done when they were in school. I wrote a lot during those critical hours when they were at school. And then, of course, when I was on deadline, of course, I would do you know, later night um, writing sessions. But at almost 50, I can't pull all-nighters. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not going to happen. So I literally was using five. I said, if I write five hours every day, that's good stuff. Yeah. And then um, we would meet, Maya and I, my editor and I would meet, would meet once a week. And I had assignments. She put me on assignment, like finish this chapter <laughs> by by Wednesday. And we met and we would look at it. So I was really, um, I wasn't writing in a, bu- in a out of space. I was really grounded on uh, deadlines. Did you hire her? Is she a yeah. friend? No, no, she's hired. So, so you can, uh, I hired her, and it was independent of my publisher. So Maya and I were responsible for delivering to my publisher, and that was great for me. I don't think I could have finished. I don't think I could have kept to deadlines. I don't think I could have. There were times when I was like, I can't write anymore. I don't have anything more to say. I don't have any more insight. <laughs> I don't have anything smart. And she would just sit there and talk with me and because what you sometimes you don't know what you have right and so working with Maya was um she kind of developed the writer in me I have to say and so first chapter I was like Maya I can't do this last chapter I was like don't edit anything <laughs> don't touch it I got this it, this is as is <laughs> it's raw don't touch it and I think my last chapter is one of my best chapters so I really was like um you, you know, grew, but you grew. I grew. You grew. Yeah. But it, 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 it's a really... I could not have done it on my own. I, I mean, there's a lot of people out there who may not even be aware that they could hire a professional editor. Absolutely. You, <laughs> there's many ways to do it. You can hire a ghostwriter. You can hire a co-writer. You can hire an editor. You can hire um, someone to just sit there and bounce off ideas with you. So when I before I even found um, a agent... <clears throat> 
I bounced ideas off of two women, a really good friend of mine named Jonica and another friend of hers who's a writer. And I said, I have this idea. And we, I spent a summer just writing and bouncing ideas and, and showing my ideas to these two women. And although that did not make it into the book, that helped formulate right. my ideas. And so I think this idea that the notion that we have to write on our own and deliver on our own, um, it, it didn't work. It, that's not how I did it. The, the beginning is the beginning is so powerful, and you <clears throat> you're not just talking about uh, 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 you know having a trans mm, child. Not at all. You're talking about being a woman. I don't think Penel comes into the book until like almost halfway into the book. Yeah. <laughs> the, oh so this when I when I there was a period when I thought that. I had dropped the ball on feminism, right? right? I wasn't able to raise a, a proud girl. And then there was a period where I sort of put feminism on hold. And then I had to go back and really look at my family, and in particular, the women. And so I started thinking about these women, but I was like, well, what, what did they have to do with my son, my trans son? And they, I couldn't get rid of them. They were in my mind. Pictures and stories of these women kept coming up. And I kept thinking, but this is contradictory to Penelope because Penelope's a boy. And the women persisted. And so what I got from them is lineage. What I got from them was determination. If black women could get up from nothing, if they could watch their children die, if they could watch families, if they could get up and continue on, change. Um, my grandmother sued hospitals and schools and won in the segregated South and changed laws, right? Hearts and minds. So I just was using the women of my family as blueprint for how do we support? How do we get things done? How do we bring more life? And so now I think that feminism is how I'm raising both my boys and my girls, mm. my trans and my cis, my everything. Feminism mm. to me is um, the backbone of my family. Mm. The beginning. Can I read the beginning couple of paragraphs? Please. I've always been told that women are powerful, tenacious, and important. That we pull from limitless places. That we make magic wherever we go. Shining light into the darkness. Forming impenetrable shields with our love. That beneath moments of weakness are endless reserves of strength. But I, woman, am feeling none of those powers. A friend of mine once told me parenthood means delivering optimism to your children, but I'm filled with only pessimism about the future. It's clear to me that dark envelops light, bad beats up on good. Women do, in fact, break. Smiling requires an effort I just don't have. And joy its packed up its bags and gone elsewhere. Quote, I need to stay with you for a while, I heard myself saying to my mother over the phone, weary from the last few years. I just need to rest. I'm here, she said without pausing. Come as soon as you can. I bought a plane ticket to Atlanta the next day. I mean, that's just womanhood. That's mm -hmm. not about I have a trans son. and I'm the, 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 you know, the, the issue is not at all clear from that. It's just... Here's a woman Broken. in crisis. She knows women have power. She cannot access it. She goes back to <laughs> all the cradles, mom, the South. Um, <laughs> I need, you know, the bed. I need to rest. Um, so powerful. 
I th- you know, I, I um, played around with where to put that. That that part <laughs> was in the middle of the book, and the end of the book, and the beginning of the book, and it was. I, I decided to put it up front because you know, going back down south was almost like the moment that I decided to heal. It was um, a bit of giving in, like we said earlier, a bit of finding something in you that is that you have because I kept thinking I'm not equipped I don't know how to handle this I don't know what's I can't I can't I can't in hindsight I actually had all of that all that I needed to Mm. deal with Penelope but also to deal with any broke any anything broken and so I want us to as women and as um, providers to think about how do we access our power you know how do we do we go back down south? Do we sit on the floor? Do we look at our lineage? Um, because there's a point in the book where I realize no one is going to save me. <laughs> my strong dad's not going to come back from the dead and save me. You know, my ex-husbands, two of them, they're not going to come back and save me. <laughs> and there's a, you, you have to access your power. And for me, it, it was in the stories of my women. That was the power. It's amazing that now Padel is your happiest child and... The one you worry about I, the least. I hope that they're all happy. So he is pretty safe on solid ground right now. He feels confident. You can see it in, in all of the things he does. Um, and, you know, I have to say this. It sounds like a very happy, neat story. I wasn't able to do for all the kids in the same way during those years. Those were critical years. And so now I'm backing I'm backtracking on um, mm. some of the time that I missed with the other kids. And I'm like, I'm here for you. You're a scientist? Okay, Neil deGrasse tickets. Like, what are we doing? We're going to go science all the way. And so I'm really building up um, my connections with the other kids. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. Thanks, Teray. Yay. That was fun. Thanks to Jody for a great interview, and thanks to you for listening. I'm on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Torre Show is produced by Chris Colbert of DCP Entertainment. Our photographer is Chuck Marcus, and we will be back next week with more knowledge from amazing folks, because as we always say, the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.